The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. Can Michigan contain Jalen Milrow? Can the Texas defensive front disrupt Michael Penix Jr.? And only a few more hours until those questions start to be answered. This is the College Game Day podcast. It is New Year's Eve, the final day of 2023. Reese Davis, Pete Thamel, and our good friend Desmond Howard joining us from the original locker room in the Rose Bowl, 1922, when this stadium opened, first Rose Bowl in 23. You played in it a significant number of years after that. Yeah. But with Michigan <laughs> here, Taylor brought this up, and it's a really, a really good point, with Heisman Trophy, mm-hmm. Super Bowl MVP, you're recognized everywhere you go, most everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. What's this like out here with Michigan people being around this week, too, <laughs> in addition to all of that? Oh, man, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot, but it's fun. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's fun. Um, I enjoy it. Um, it's always good to see, you know, amazing blue fans and uh, people saying, hey, go blue. And, you know, they're so, so excited to be here because they haven't been here in quite some time. And obviously the team is the number one seed. So it's just a it's a great positive feeling there are a lot of people trying to pull me this way that way and I have to explain everybody this is a work trip for me (laughs) I'm not here like you guys are this is not just entertainment this is a work trip so they understand but bring me back to that era Des what did the Rose Bowl mean because there was no playoff right and like the national championship is something you wanted to win but it wasn't necessarily I think what you got out of camp August 1st when you reported and said we're gonna win the national championship like walk me through a little bit of like what it meant to you then and I, I, I assume some of those feelings come back when you walk out and see the yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was um, born in an era where this was the game. Like mm-hmm. the Rose Bowl was the goal, and I, you know, I came up with um, with um, Bo Schembechler. Mm-hmm. He was my head coach for two years, and I had Gary Moeller for two years. And Bo always emphasized just how important the Rose Bowl was. It was always a you know a Pac-10 against a Big Ten team at that point, and that was our goal mm-hmm. to win the Big Ten and to get to the Rose Bowl. So. It was everything to us. It mm-hmm. was. And I grew up watching the Rose Bowl. Now, um, honestly, I was not a college football fan growing up. Mm-hmm. I was a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. But on New Year's, we all sat down and we watched the Rose Bowl because it was just that important. So, you know, the nostalgia you talk about and then just doing this job and being involved with um, TV and seeing some great games here. Oof. Man, we've seen some monster matchups in the Rose Bowl. So it's just actually escalated just how important it is to me. Yeah. Probably the greatest one. And I, I, well, you probably were here, but I was not the Texas USC game. Yes. Uh, yes. Vince Young won the game. Yep. Mac Brown, the head coach, winning the game there. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. his second Rose Bowl win. But some things don't change. The reason I bring that up is this Desmond and I were walking over here to yeah. do the podcast, and we got right on the edge and you didn't have your little security badge. <laughs> you didn't stop Desmond Howard at the Rose Bowl. Yeah, they tried to give me a little Heisman, a little <laughs> well, well, don't don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. Okay. Because 2009 national championship game, 2010 mm-hmm. year, right? Mac Brown's here again. Yeah. Mac Brown, whose picture is right over your left shoulder, Desmond, <laughs> holding up the Rose Bowl trophy. His second one, because yeah. they they knocked off Michigan in a great game the year before. Mm-hmm. He had two of those trophies. He had a national championship. Wow. He's back here for another one. Mm-hmm. It's the day before. Team's coming out to take pictures on the beautiful grounds, the pristine grass that Herb Street loves so much. Yep. And I look out over in the corner, and the security guard's looking at Mac Brown going, no. 
You don't have the little blue credential. Wow. You're not coming in here. Wow. There's stop Mac Brown in the corner. <laughs> now, eventually, eventually they got him in. So don't feel yeah. bad. Now, I feel okay. Yeah. You're, you're on hallowed grounds here, and you have to be credentialed properly. I see. I see. I don't feel so bad now. Yeah. The Rose Bowl takes the Rose Bowl very seriously. They do. That's just ask the Rose Bowl. It. That's true. Hey, before we get into these games, and I know okay. you're going to be with us just for a few minutes. You, you mentioned about how Bo made it everything yeah. for an era – uh, that was the ultimate goal in the Big Ten, the Pac-12, just as the Sugar Bowl was in the SEC. Mm-hmm. Way back in the day, the Cotton Bowl for the SWC teams. Yep. We're going into a different era of the sport with the 12-team playoff next year. Mm-hmm. Is it really an improvement? Or do you, have, do you have a little longing that maybe the old way was better in some ways? Wow. Now, there's a lot to unpack there because I was never a big fan of the 14 playoff. Mm-hmm. Like when it came out, you know, like everyone just wanted to play off, right? They hated the BCS. Everyone hated it. They just had to get rid of the BCS. They said, okay, we're going to give you this system and we're going to label it playoff. But it wasn't like a legitimate playoff because you only have four spots. Mm-hmm. You got five conferences and then you got Notre Dame. If Notre Dame's good, that's like a sixth conference. You know what I mean? Yeah, They're getting sure. in, mm-hmm. but you only have four spots. So to me, it was always flawed from the, from, the, from the beginning. And now going to 12, I think they're trying to solve the problem, you know, that we had this year, obviously, with best teams, deserving teams, however you want to qualify them or, or look at it. I think that there were probably five or six teams that deserve to be in the college football playoff this mm-hmm. year. So now they're going to go to 12. They think that that will solve that problem. I think 13 and 14 – Teams in that slot, they're going to be kind of pissed, you know. So it's, it's, you're not going to get away from that, in my yeah. in my opinion. But you are giving more teams opportunities, though, which is which is good to get into the college football playoff when you have 12. What do you think about playing a league game here if you're Michigan? A who game? A league game, like a conference game. Oh, a conference because UCLA's game. in your oh, yeah, conference. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That yeah. has to be like I just thought about that today. That yeah, has to yeah. be a little bizarre, right? Like this yeah. was a, such a destination, yeah. and now it's maybe a trip along the way. Right. I mean, it'll be. I guess it'll be. Yeah, it'll be cool because it's still like Pasadena Rose Bowl. The one thing that I don't like with the new system is that if you're um, like a one seed, I guess, to four seed, then you get a bye, correct? Only top four seeded conference champions. Like if, Conf- okay. For instance, like if you had Michigan and Ohio State, okay. like last year, both in the top four, both wouldn't get the bye. Right. Only the conference champion. Got you. Okay. Yeah. So to, in my opinion, that team should not only get a bye – I think you should host a game. Like I, I, I'm, I'm I more, yeah, I, I'm more about hosting a game than getting a buy. Like I would want an LSU to go up to the shoe, mm-hmm. and That'd be awesome. yeah, in late December or early January, whatever the case may be. Like yeah. that's what I want. I want to see if it's Florida State, you know, go up to Ann Arbor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what I, I would love to, to see. Old Miss. Exactly. Like just yeah. Yes, yeah, so I think you know, but that's 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 just my own gripe. I, I'm I'm with you on that, and actually, I think Desmond eventually, and a lot of this will be driven by media contracts and so forth. I think that will hasten the expansion to 16 okay. because it'll only take a few years of those one through four conference champions going. Like take this take this year for instance, just as an example. Alabama wins the SEC. Right. They get a bye. They don't get a home game, and they go, "Wait a minute!" Right. Georgia got to play a playoff game yeah. in Athens. A- a- exactly. I'd like to do that. Yeah, 100%. You know, and yep. so I think that's going to hasten the expansion more than anything else. Well, what, what about this? Is we really evolve to a power two, right? And the SEC, yeah. the Big Ten. So you could be, the, in theory, the number two team in the SEC in the third seat, right? If you have mm-hmm. one of these Alabama Georgia dominant years, right. and then you have a 
two-loss Big 12 team ranked three with a bye. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Because it's yeah, top four yeah, conference yeah, championships. Exactly, yeah. And the one and the two yeah. are separated. They're separated yeah. financially. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. we would think of the what it's what's it going to be now uh seven at largest right because there's well a, they haven't settled that for sure but i think that's, it's that's yeah. likely yes. that is likely the outcome yeah so yeah. i it will be very interesting to see if the rankings are say five of seven teams are from the big uh, the the sec and the big 10 mm-hmm. like if as that gap goes between like the third seed ends up as the ends up without a buy. I just right. think that could hasten it because look, the plate tectonics of where this thing is going is pretty is pretty obvious, and there's a good chance that the third best team out of those two top leagues is going to be better or has a chance to be better, especially mm-hmm. if the ACC evolves like we think it does. So I just think the world's moving fast right now, and, and the ideas that kind of were conjured two years ago and thought of two years ago, by the time they're implemented, may be outdated. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the thing is, though, we've still got a couple of great semifinals in this system coming up, including the one that will be played just a few feet from where we're sitting right now with Michigan and Alabama. And Desmond, you brought this up on some of the Sports Center hits that we've uh, talked about, the necessity for Michigan to control Jalen Milrow, designed runs, but also as a scrambler. One of the stats that's jumped out at me is that Michigan all season, well, granted, they haven't seen anyone like Milrow. Right. They've allowed 190, 190 scramble yards, I think, all season. Wow. All season. Wow. Milrow <laughs> has two games yeah. over 100, and he's got 470 <laughs> just on scrambles, not on the designed runs yeah. or non-sack runs. Yeah. So the question to me, from a football standpoint, mm-hmm. everybody says, well, spy him. But if you spy him, you take somebody out of coverage, right. which sometimes makes the down-the-field throws easier. I had a coach point out uh, the Jermaine Burton touchdown against Georgia. Mm-hmm. Guy spying him. One fewer guy to worry about in the secondary. Right. How would you handle that if you were Michigan? I think schematically what you want to do is you want to approach it differently from a defensive standpoint, meaning a defensive front. You don't want them to give him rushing or running lanes. So when they rush the quarterback, when it's an obvious pass down, pass situation, you want to make sure that you're able to contain him in the pocket. And you want to play at at in your ends, you can't go beyond him. So you want to make sure that you have your ends they have to have strict discipline. Do not go beyond Jalen Milrow. If you can close it in on him, close in on him, but don't go beyond him because he's going to slip underneath. So that those are things you want to work on schematically, the way your tackles push up the field, the way your ends, the way they uh, approach Jalen Milrow, and then any type of twists or stunts that you run to. You just always want to make sure that you don't go beyond him because he is, like you said, R.D., he's the most dangerous dual-threat quarterback that they faced this season. It's interesting talking to defensive coordinators who've played uh, Alabama this year. Someone told me that Georgia at times spied him with two guys, yeah. which is you know yeah. which mm-hmm. which is rare. You rush three, you spy with yeah. two, and you kind of hang out in there. Maybe the team that slowed them down on the run the most effectively was Texas A&M. Now they have Edron Cooper, first team All American, uh, obviously going to be a high draft pick. Runs four three four four. I wonder, and, and you know Michigan's personnel better than anyone does. Do you think that guy's Junior Colson for them, who who can go sideline to sideline in that in that way? If if the spying role is something Jesse Minter does, yeah, I think that. Well, first of all, Jesse Minter is like just a brilliant defensive Oof. mind. Like he's an NFL guy. He came to Michigan from the Baltimore Ravens, um, not directly because he's with Vanderbilt first, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. he has um, NFL um, roots. So he's a guy who's very intelligent. Very clever way he's want, he wants to spy a quarterback. And Colson can be one of the mm-hmm. guys. I would not count out using two guys. I would not count that out. You're going to have to give them different looks. You're going to have to confuse them. What you want to do, don't forget, end of the day, 
This is Jalen Milrow's first year as a full starter. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So you want to give him some looks that he hasn't seen before, things that confuse him, mm -hmm. and try to keep him in the pocket. But, yeah, Colson is definitely a guy who can uh, be a spy. But I think they have other, other players too, but they want to make sure that he stays in the pocket. You want him to play the quarterback position. Stay in the pocket, play quarterback. If you can beat us that way, then, you, you know, they, defensively they say we'll take it. On the flip side, how much quarterback run do you expect to see from J.J. McCarthy given the fact that he's had some time off, let the ankle heal, yeah. maybe a little healthier? And, you know, I, I always laugh because they say, well, mobile quarterbacks you can also throw have always given Alabama trouble. Well, name a team that they don't. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? I mean name yeah. a team that Johnny Manziel didn't exactly. get to. Right. Right. You know, so really good players good give point. good defenses trouble. Absolutely. But how much, uh, how much run uh, do you think McCarthy, that they'll try to employ with McCarthy, and how important is it, if at all? Yeah, I think that um, McCarthy, they don't want to expose him to too much, you know, because we saw what happened in the Penn State game. Mm -hmm. And he was banged up, and then the following weeks, he just didn't look like himself the following mm -hmm. weeks. And I think now you've had the chance to get him healthy. Uh, you want to keep him healthy. Mm -hmm. And he's still a threat, so I think there will be design runs, but I believe that there will be few and far in between. There will have to be, like, the perfect down-the-distance situation for Sharon Moore to call design runs for, um, for J.J. McCarthy. See, I disagree. I think it's the playoff, and it's a short season if you win, you know, yeah. and I think you roll the dice a little bit. I think we've seen play callers in the playoffs generally yeah. roll the dice more with QB runs because you don't have to save the, those guys for much longer, and I think I perceive that Michigan's O-line, especially on the right side, is going to struggle. Zinter out. you got some guys who struggled on the edges. I think the best antidote to those that edge speed is the QB run, and I think they'll use it in a designed way a little bit more than they have this season. The other, the other part of that I wanted to talk about was that they have put in a different quarterback like they did against Ohio mm -hmm. State. The orgy. Use yeah. orgy, number 10. Yeah. And then that way you get the quarterback runs that you're looking for. That's a good point. And they showed that already, so I, I'm pretty sure they will use that. Well, you know, that's one thing Jim said this week was that uh, in referring to Milrow, he said that Milrow was a more polished yeah. Alex Orgy. So, you know, this exactly. is a guy who's a really good athlete, got, yep. some, got some size to him. Yep. Uh, quickly, before we let you go, Texas-Washington, biggest key to that game. I love this matchup. You know, I love this game. I'm so excited about the Sugar Bowl. Wow. Impressed with Washington. Been impressed with them all year long. This is a team that obviously the first half of the season was all about Michael Penix Jr. and the receivers, all about them. He got a little banged up. Um, they didn't look the same midway through the season. And then Dylan Johnson started to take over. He was so impressive that along with the way that they protected Michael Penix Jr. and the way that they ran the ball in the second half of the season, that the uh, Huskies offensive line won the Joe Moore Award for the best offensive line in the country. So that offensive line against, man, Devondre Sweat, uh, Byron Murphy, Jalen Ford, man, that front seven for the Longhorns. Uh, I'm so excited about that because you have two, two, um, two groups in the trenches that just want warfare, and that's what it's all about, bro, <laughs> for real. So I, I, I love that game. The quarterbacks, they're the quarterbacks. Obviously, Quinn Ewers gets a lot of credit. He gets a lot of pub. You know, he has great receivers with Worthy and Mitchell, and then we talked about Penix Jr. running up for the Heisman, so we know he can do throwing the ball. But that battle in the trenches is going to be one to watch. So I'm excited about this matchup. We're recording this right in the middle of the NFL Sunday. So I'm going to let you go and try to rally your Dolphins. Man, no. Down at halftime. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Uh, me meanwhile, my Jaguars are trying to field goal them to death. <laughs> Desmond, always a pleasure, man. Thanks for making time. Oh, guys. Thanks for having me. I thanks, Des. Appreciate it. it. Thank yeah. you. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Recap Desmond Howard on the show for a little bit. I hope you remember his credentials so he can get back into the broadcast compound. I'll be walking back. Uh, to the ESPN. I've got no shot if you guys are going to (laughs) stop. I got, uh, I once got walked out of a national championship game, uh, Mark May and I, because our credential didn't have the right color stripe on it. And the guy came up and apologized, called us by name and then said, I'm going to have to walk you out. I said, you got to, you're going to have to perp walk us out. I said, we'll leave. And uh, he's like, I'm sorry. My boss is watching me. He was, he was uh, mortified to have to do it, but he did anyway. So anyway, it was, there are a lot of credential stories. Someday, someday I'll tell the Lou Holtz at the national championship game credential story. Oh which is, you Notre, should do it with Ty Schmidt. Notre Dame. <laughs> uh, I don't think Lou would like for me All to do right, it that enough. way, so I fair probably enough. won't. But uh, at any rate, uh, Texas-Washington, I think you know it's been a long time since Steve Sarkeesian was the head coach at Washington. Mm-hmm. And playing in the Alamo Bowl is not the same as playing in the college football playoff semifinal. But there is at least some degree of institutional familiarity and recent familiarity between the two from, from having played. What factor, if any, do you anticipate, particularly last year's meeting in that 27-20 Washington win uh, factoring into this year, if, if anything at all? It's a good question. Washington has a lot of similar personnel on mm-hmm. offense, and they had a great scheme in that game. They basically took what Texas gave them. They dinked, they dunked, mm-hmm. they cut, they slipped, they, they crossed, and they basically scissored them to uh, submission in that game. Uh, I think it, there's always some parallels, right? I think mm-hmm. there's always going to be some crossover the, you know, the – the general archetypes of the schemes are, are are certainly going to be different. Now, there's no Dylan Johnson in that game, and we could mm-hmm. go through for Texas. There's a whole lot of change. Right. You think about a guy like Tavondre Sweat. He's well, he's just a massively different player mm-hmm. this year than he was last year. I remember. I wasn't even sure he was going to be the guy, and yeah. now a friend of mine passed along word from a scout that invoked the name of Vita Vea with him. You know, yeah. as, as an yeah, NFL prospect, so it's a different thing. Yeah, I just think there there are. I remember talking to Mike Bloomgren after the Rice Texas game to open the year, and he Bloom's an old 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 lineman, an old old line coach, right? He couldn't stop talking about Tavondre Sweat. And he called, because we, we were doing something going into Bama, and he called the shot. He said, that guy made himself so much money in our game. I mm-hmm. haven't been around a lot of dominant defensive players like that. He's coaching the NFL and everything. Mm-hmm. And everything Mike Bloomberg said to me that week that we wrote about on ESPN.com came true. I mean, he has just been an absolute mauler. I think of like a Ted Washington. You know, like mm-hmm. there just aren't 
a lot of humans that big who can move like that. Vita Vea comes, you know, is, is a great example. The other thing, too, I think up front is that Byron Murphy now, when I was when I was remember preview in Texas, Alabama, scouts were like, we love him. He's savvy. He's crafty. He's this, but he's short and he's and he's not fast forward. He's had one of the most productive years a defensive tackle has had in terms of pressuring the quarterback. And he's probably going to end up being a first round pick. If not, he's going to be a top 40 type guy. Um, sometimes the height, weight, speed can get you on the other end, even when we've had a productive career. But boy, has Byron Murphy been great. So a lot of credit goes to that Texas defensive staff for developing guys like that. Our buddy from ESPN Radio, Ian Fitzsimmons, passed along uh, about Byron Murphy, that there are scouts who he's been so productive, at least a few of them that Ian had talked to willing to overlook that because of the leverage with which mm -hmm. he plays and because yeah. of the way the lower half looks. Maybe the other things don't yeah. quite get there, but the, the anchor certainly does for them. Um, you know, we praise Steve Sarkeesian's play calling, his opening script, um, and deservedly so. But the other teams in this playoff have actually been more productive in the early going. And I think sometimes because we've seen Sark on these big stages, whether it was um, – you know, with Alabama previously, or when he was a head coach. Remember, he became the impromptu SC. play caller when yeah. they fired Lane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and in the, in the Clemson game, a national championship game, saw him at SC, uh, seen him in the NFL. He also knew him as a player. Mm -hmm. So therefore, he has this uh, equity that's been built mm -hmm. up and that he's earned over this time. And because of that, we might overlook Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb's ability to do some sure. of those same things and, and scheme you up and get you moving and find a way to take advantage of Sweat and Murphy and make them move in directions they don't want to do with scheme and formation and motion and shifts and so forth. Yeah, we weren't uh, there for that Sioux Falls run when they made four straight national <laughs> right. titles or and when Kalen was a stud NAIA. player, right? Kalen was a great player, <laughs> yeah. too, that gets overlooked. But I do think you make a good point. Uh, one of the defensive coaches I talked to played Washington said their internal statistics showed they were top five in the country in pre-snap motions. Mm -hmm. So look, they went into a funk offensively this year, like straight up, and they figured out ways to manufacture offense. And some of that was getting Dylan Johnson going, but some mm -hmm. of that was shifts, movements, pre-snap matchups. Maybe the, I think the highest compliment you can give to them as creative play callers and tendency breakers is throwing that touchdown pass to Quinton Moore, his first career touchdown pass in the fourth quarter of the Pac-12 title game <laughs> on, I believe, third and goal from the two, yeah. right? He had a, a handful of catches this season. I mean, Quinton Moore... I'm looking at his dad, a handful, two. Two, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was a good one, Quentin though. Moore's mom didn't even think he was getting the ball in that situation. <laughs> so that is the type of savvy they have, and they've been in a lot of big games. Even if the lights haven't been bright, they're still big games. Yeah, and a lot of big games in the Pac-12 this year, they've also Whew. proven the ability to win close games, which is something I think that Texas deserves some credit for as Amen. well. Yeah. Um, now, they in most of those situations for Texas, they had big leads, squandered them, and found ways to win, which can be a strength. And the other thing, too, um, we get the perception because there was a feeling watching the Texas-Alabama game that Texas pushed Alabama around, and they did. Mm -hmm. But they were also behind in the fourth quarter. I yeah. mean, Alabama had a lead in the fourth quarter, and people forget that, and Texas asserted its will in mm -hmm. the fourth quarter and finished the game. Washington, meanwhile, has has won nine straight by 10 points or fewer, and that's a run of figuring out how to win games. And both of those teams won't flinch, I don't think, if the game is close late. 
And those games were tougher games than Texas played. The Pac-12 was a much better league than the Big 12 this year, Mm -hmm. top to bottom. And they went through a gauntlet, beating the Utahs, beating Oregon twice, going to SC and winning, um, playing Oregon State, uh, Washington State in adverse weather conditions. Like, give them credit for a better resume. And that's one of the reasons why I think they're going to win. Yeah. So you think Washington is going to win. I I lean Texas. But this is one of those years. We've had the four seed win the national championship mm-hmm. twice. Ohio State did it in 14. Alabama did it in 17. So it's not unprecedented. But I do think that this four-team field seems to be more even to me in that it won't be much of a surprise if any of the four win it. Amen. I mean, it's yeah. really – I mean, you can always say these things, a turnover, a play, a missed assignment, a busted tackle, and you know, and then off you go and that decides the game. But I don't feel like it's going to take some Herculean effort from any of these four teams to play above their normal ability Mm -hmm. to win these two games and win the national championship. Yeah. Let me uh, close the matchup talk with a a little cousin talk. Uh, Jabbar Muhammad has been Washington's best corner this year as a transfer Mm -hmm. from Oklahoma State, one of the great sort of underrated portal finds. He's their number one corner. He's probably going to get drafted. He's like classic undersized, scrappy guy who's played a lot Mm -hmm. of college football. His cousin, Malik Muhammad, is Texas's best freshman corner. He may be Texas's best freshman, period. And as Texas's secondary has gone through injuries and some struggles, he has really emerged as a key factor. And both of them will be there for a lot of plays, and they'll be a family divided in New Orleans. Which way do you think they lean? Do they lean with the older guy because this is his last shot? Or... I can't get in the heads family. of families. Well, what would you do? No, that's, that's one, of the, one of the things. If you're yeah, in the situation, you're, the you're cousin, with the older yeah. guy. You're one of the cousins. You like them both equally. Mm. Nobody like, you know, Probably gave depends you. depends on where you're from, well, right? Nobody, nobody gave you a, squir- a swirly or something when you were seven and you still hold the grudge against them. So you're going to root against them. You're going to root for the older guy or the younger guy? I'll probably root for the older guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Before we uh, get out of here, let's let's revisit the hot topic for the last month for just a second. Mm-hmm. And that is um, the college football playoff selections with Florida State and Georgia, for that matter, being left out of the college football playoff. And then the unfortunate game uh, that unfolded in the Orange Bowl with Georgia winning by 60 and Florida State being a shell of itself due to opt-outs and transfer portals and all of that. And, you know, I sort of, you know, I, I think one of the things that Taylor's taught me about the podcast is I'm supposed to say, you know, things that ordinarily I think I'm supposed to rise above. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say some things now. Sam, uh, I I decided to stop looking at the mentions on Twitter about this Florida State thing a few weeks ago because you feel the need if you're like me, you want to. Um, explain yourself or if someone takes you out of context, you want to try to say, hey, look, understand it from my point of view. That's not what that forum is for. So it's not productive. And if criticism directed your way is correct, then you need to address it and adjust your position or make amends or whatever the situation calls for. And if, or if it's credible, you need to entertain it and find out why. The criticism that we got almost unfailingly was neither. So I dismissed it. Sure. And, and I do. But some of the stuff from yesterday 
that, that I saw from what we said in the pregame about Florida State. Uh, someone accused us of making fun of the players. That never happened. Uh, nobody was doing that with Florida State. When people said, and I don't know if I said it, I probably did. I wanted to see full strength Florida State as much as it could be sure. against Georgia. But what people were saying when they were disappointed is for the most part, they weren't disappointed in the players. They were disappointed they weren't going to see this type of game because they respect Florida State. And they, everybody feels bad, regardless of what Seminole fans think. Everybody feels bad about what happened to them. If Jordan Travis had been healthy, they'd be in. There's no conspiracy about this. They lost their quarterback. It's in the criteria. They didn't get in. That's the end of the story. There's nothing deeper than that. It's aggravating if you're a Seminole fan. It's infuriating if you're a Seminole player. Mm -hmm. And that's just the way it goes. And it's, you know, it's a bad thing to have happen. But nobody, nobody made fun of them. Nobody is uh, glad that they lost by 60. Nobody wanted to see for college football what happened in that game. And even Kirby Smart, what Kirby said was that we have to get a handle on this one way or the other and decide what we want this to be. Some of this will be alleviated, some of it, with the 12-team playoff. Now, there are a lot of different avenues to, to go down to explore to see how you how you rectify this, but nobody wants the players to think the games are unimportant and therefore they think it's in their best interest to move on. If they do, I support it hundred percent. Your career is short. You have to protect it. If you don't look out for yourself, no one else will. I don't begrudge any of the Florida state players who chose not to play for making that decision in their own best interest. But we would like for there to be a scenario where even if you don't make the playoff in the future and we still have the bowl games, that it is still worth a worthwhile endeavor for you to continue to play. But the bowl games outside the playoff structure are exhibition games. That's what they are. And it was really hammered home in the Orange Bowl that even a high-level game between two teams that were uh, really well-accomplished teams from this year was an exhibition game. That's what mm -hmm. it was. And, like, for instance, I don't think Florida State should really even be penalized in the final AP rankings for that performance. It wasn't their team. It wasn't what they accomplished. I agree know, with that so completely. Like, yeah, so, yeah, I agree with that know. completely. No, and look, with, with the Florida State topic, obviously, they had a wonderful team and a wonderful Great. season. I said Absolutely. in the podcast a couple weeks before all this happened, I said, I thought it would be a shame if they got left out. You sure. know, if they went undefeated and won their league, that would be a shame. And it was. And it was really a shame the way everything unfolded. And we, you know, look, we as fans just want to see great games. Now, I understood mm -hmm. why every single one of those guys opted out. Maybe yeah. not Tate Rodemaker, actually, but pretty much every one of those yeah. guys. I understood going to the NFL, you know, and they were they were crushed, man. They were they were heartbroken. And and I and I completely, completely get that. Um, how do you going back to Kirby's comments, how do you fix bowl season? How do you Lane Kiffin had a great quote the other day and he's he's great at pointing out problems mm -hmm. he may not point out the solutions but he's really good at pointing <laughs> out the problems he said that the nfl would never start free agency before the playoffs right. no and, doubt. and it was it was a very prescient point by lane i don't know how with the academic calendar because that still exists like these mm -hmm. guys still go to school you can make that a little bit more tenable to make these bulls happen or do we just have to start embracing that after our playoff games these bulls might be a little gnarly looking well i i I think that because that's really the only pathway forward. Um, you know, I think Pat McAfee suggested in one of our meetings that maybe you get like the equivalent of a playoff check, maybe not the playoff, but a bowl check like there's, yeah. you know, some type of prize money for the winners. And I know the powers that be would look at that as play for play, uh, pay for play, and they would shudder. But maybe that's one path forward. The other is just accept that we're sort of going back in time. Uh, 
back in the day when they started the Astro Blue Bonnet Bowl, it never really had any implications in terms of the national championship. It's okay to play football games that aren't just for the national championship because I think football players like to play football, and I know football fans like to watch it. Yes. So it's okay to play. Treat it like a spring game. Treat it like extra practice. Treat it like a glorified scrimmage. Treat it however you want to. And the one other thing I do want to point out about Florida State, and I think this is going to be the last thing I say on this, anyone who says, see, they shouldn't have been in based uh, on what happened against Georgia, yeah. that's foolish. That's, that's a ridiculous take. It doesn't mean anything. That, that game. Now, good for Georgia. It sure. does mean something for yeah. them that they that they showed up because they were disappointed yeah. too. If you, Because the Georgia fans that were mad were saying, if you apply this best standard, which is a reasonable one, we spent years in the BCS whining that there was no football judgment employed. And then when people employ the football judgment, people get mad about it. But if you just solely used football judgment, didn't know the records, watched the teams play, said, who are the best teams from watching tape? Oh, Georgia's what the four. There's no, no question. question about yeah. that. So, but to say that that somehow validates the committee selection, it does no. not. Performance does not validate or invalidate selection. If Alabama wins the national championship, it doesn't mean the committee got it right. If Michigan beats Alabama by four touchdowns, it doesn't mean the committee got it wrong. It means either, either Alabama played great or Michigan played great. That's what it means. And it doesn't mean any of that other stuff that people try to assign to it. A thousand percent. Anyone that equates that result from the Orange Bowl to what the committee decided, it's just foolish. It's just a foolish it, it's, it's a ridiculous take. Yeah. And, you know, look, the question for Florida State is how do you handle this adversity as a program from this point forward, yeah. this disappointment? They won't have to deal with these types of things in the new system for sure. But we've seen programs take a hit and sort of reel as a result of mm -hmm. a major disappointment, whether it's Texas in 2009 season losing the national championship game and they got sideways after that. I don't know that it's fair to put TCU in that category yet after only one season, but certainly a disappointing follow-up no to a national championship game appearance. So those things can build. I'm not a big believer in momentum carrying from one season to the next. But if culture, the overused word, is a real thing, mm -hmm. then that has to impact it sometimes and you have to be aware of it. And I think Mike Norvell is such an outstanding coach and a good leader. I don't really worry about Florida State. But when you have major disappointment followed by massive embarrassment, which was not their fault, I mean, you know, Look, they were outmanned. They, they played their guts out early, and they just ran out of steam, and Georgia had too many guys. You know, At the end of the day, it's kind of what it was. Yeah. So, I feel like college football is becoming more like college basketball in a lot of ways. As transient as it is, mm -hmm. as many guys that change teams, and again, I'm not complaining about it, just observing, it becomes more of a year-to-year -year sport, and it becomes less carryover from year-to-year. -year. Now, look, I have full confidence in Mike Norvell and Florida State to reload. I, too. I think too. they'll find a great portal quarterback. They've had a couple in already, DJ Uyungle, Cam Ward, whoever it is, and they will build around a new identity. Um, they went and found Keon Coleman last year. They found Jaheim Bell. They know what they're doing. They know personnel. They have the NIL resources to go do it. Quite frankly, with the university 
charting its course to leave the ACC as they've started to do, they better go be good. You can't start getting certain cheap on the roster right now mm -hmm. because you are auditioning for one of two leagues. That was not a good performance, whatever you want to, however you want to mm -hmm. contextualize it. That final score is not what you want to be affiliated with. You need to go out and you need to put together the best possible roster to go win the ACC again and prove that you are you are a viable candidate for one of these leagues as the courts decide those things, it, the, uh, the finances. Yeah, it, it's a really fascinating time for Florida State and the entire sport about yeah. what they do going forward, whether this builds on it. And, yeah. you know, hey, look, the other thing, too, is they have to have the money in order for the NIL. They also better make sure they keep their money in order for their coaching staff and for their head coach mm -hmm. because, I mean, yeah. uh, that, that dude's an attractive guy. And I'm not suggesting yeah. for a second that he's interested in leaving or somebody's trying to get him, but – I'll but the reiterate. next marquee SEC opening, you know he's, they'll knock on his door and offer ten million bucks. Yeah, yeah, there's I mean, no question. I mean, that's not he's earned the yeah. right to work at the best. And in Florida State's a top ten job. Yeah, but if an Alabama opens in the upcoming years or something in that class, say somebody goes to the NFL, Mike Norvell's going to get a phone call. Yeah, I mean he's earned that. Oh yeah, and and that's not wishing it. That's mm -mm. not hoping he does. I think it's a great fit where it, he is. It's good for the sport. Great fit is important, and it's good for the sport when Florida State's at the top. There, I agree completely. So, so maybe we'll maybe we'll get to do that. Okay, so you're doing. If you're watching on YouTube, Pete <laughs> actually just did the tomahawk chop. I did, and I we'll did. see them in Dublin once the new season opens. A couple more games to take care of before then, though. Can't wait. Wait, can't wait. Uh, wait, I, I I'm was, already planning where I'm going to drink my Guinness. <laughs> I was about to wrap this up, but just for our friend Taylor. Yeah, I mean. How about the Maryland Terrapins without the Big Ten's all-time leading passer, Talia Tungavailoa? I thought he was going to wear like electric yellow Maryland flag pants today in honor of his Terps big win. Three straight bowl games wins, first time in school history. Uh, yeah, Loxus got him. Loxus got him locked and loaded. Got him going. Went over the SEC. Well, have him chant SEC at you, Taylor. Maryland <laughs> put him down. It took care of them. All right. This has been fun in yeah. the original Rose Bowl locker room. Awesome. All these great pictures around us, and we hope that the semifinals live up to it, and I trust that they will. Thanks for listening to the College Game Day podcast. Download it wherever you prefer to get con uh, podcasts, or maybe just subscribe so you never miss a single episode or stumble on the close.